you're just joining us, this summer we're several weeks into a series on the book of Proverbs, and we're talking each week about what does the book of Proverbs tell us about becoming wise, about becoming people who might be described as wise people. Uh, and this morning we're going to be talking about what Proverbs has to say to us about, about words, about our words. And this is from various places in the book of Proverbs. You'll find uh, these verses printed out on page 4 and 5 of your order of worship. Now, before we read these, um, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would give us the good gift of um, speaking to us this morning. As we open up your word, your word is your word to us. May we hear it. And by your spirit, would you do your good work of changing us, of teaching us about our words of bringing healing to our words that we might be wise speakers. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, you'll find these on page 4 and 5 of our bulletin. And I'll just read straight through. Here, for I will speak noble things. From my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The tongue of the righteous is choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of sense. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. The tongue that brings healing is a tree of life, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. To make an answer is a jo- an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The heart of the wise makes his speech judicious and adds persuasiveness to his lips. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. There is gold and abundance of costly stones, but the lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Like a gold ring or an ornament of gold is a wise reprover to a listening ear. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I am only joking. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. And every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Okay, this morning we're talking about words. What does Proverbs have to tell us about what words are, what they're for, how we use them, how we can change them? Um, 
was thinking about a scene that, that might bring back sh just terrifying memories for some of us. Imagine yourself on, on maybe a first date that you've been on at some point. Um, I want to read some lyrics from a song by David Wilcox about, about someone in this very scene. They're on, they're on a first date, maybe a blind date, an early date and getting to know somebody. And it, it's about the conversation that happens at the table. This is uh, David Wilcox. The name of the song is Rule Number One. Here's what he says. Could be the one, could be tonight, a love that would feel so right. You look in his eyes, he pours the wine, they shine in the candlelight. It's easy to laugh, it's easy to smile, except when the service was slow. Then he was cruel, suddenly mean, not like the man you, not like the man you knew. If he's rude to the waiter and it makes your heart confuse, this is lesson number one, run. Get up and run. Don't walk. Don't wait. Rule number one, don't hesitate. Your date is done. Run. What have you lost except for a dream? A dream that would shatter like bone. It's better to run and get away clean than pay for the lawyer. <laughs> These might be wise words in and of themselves for <laughs> contemplating a date. What happens this scene that opens so well goes so badly when some harsh words are spoken some just offhand rude comments to the waiter, and the person on the date says, it must run more deeply than this. If he's speaking that way now, where's the person I thought that I knew? Our words matter. They have effects on the people around us. And the point of our sermon this morning, because the point that Proverbs draws out for us, is simply that wise people use their words well. Okay? So to get at that, we're going to look at three things this morning. We're going to talk about what our words do, where our words come from, and how our words can change. What our words do, where they come from, and how they can change. Uh, first, what our words do. Look with me at um, the Proverb 18.21 at the bottom of page 4 there. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. What do our words do? They bring death or life. All words have power. Everything that we say has power for good or for ill. And this proverb says that those who love the tongue, those who study it, those who know it, know that it brings death and life. All of us are speakers, and we're all going to have, we're all going to reap fruit from our words, fruit of death or fruit of life. Think about just the inherent power of your words. There are lots of examples we could probably pick, but maybe this situation will ring familiar for some of us. You walk into the house at the end of a long day. And the rest of your family's there. They've, they've had a long day as well. The things that come out of your mouth next are going to have the power to set the tone for the rest of the evening. Is it going to turn it in a good direction, or is it going to turn it south? Is it going to bring life and healing to your family, or is it going to make a bad day worse? You know those situations where you walk in and you just know the things that I say have power. It affects the people around me. It affects me. But we lose this edge. We forget sometimes that our, all our words have power. Uh, my wife Elizabeth told me about how when, when she started residency, uh, medical residency, you, you go through medical school and you spend all this time learning all these things, and then suddenly you're thrown into residency and you have real patients in front of you, and you're, you're writing real prescriptions for them, and they're going to go fill those in a pharmacy somewhere, and you'd better get it right. And she said, you have this sense so early, early on in your medical career that, like, that everything I write down, life or death, if I'm prescribing the right thing, this is going to bring great healing and great help to somebody. But if I've misread the situation, if I've, if I've missed something, if I've gotten the dose wrong, I could kill someone. 
with what I'm writing down on this little script of paper. But she said that as you, as you go on over time, and it doesn't take long in residency, you're writing hundreds and hundreds of these. And you start to lose some of that edge, that conscious awareness of the power of what each little slip of paper has. And I think our words are like that, maybe for most of us, that we forget because we are speaking all the time in all kinds of situations that all our words have power. Not just in those moments of great drama in your life, those moments where you just have this feeling of everything hinges on this next word, but all our words are speaking words of life or death all the time. Now you see in these Proverbs, most of them will have two halves. They'll say something about wise speech and something about foolish, foolish speech. So we're going to take a look at both of those, but we're going to see first that, that words have the power of death. Words have the power to create great ill. And they have the power of death both for the speaker and the one to whom you speak. Okay? Great power for harm for you who speak the words and the one you're speaking to. Uh, look at uh, 13.3. Whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. Whoever opens wide his lips comes to ruin. You're too loose with your words, too quick to speak. The person who has a little bit of something to say about just about everything, so quick to speak and share, you're in danger of coming to ruin. You know what it feels like when you give into this? When you give into this burning desire to just let your words fly. When you have that, that perfect retort, the cynical or the critical or the harmful or the hateful remark, whether you say a little bit or whether you say a lot, but what you say next is going to bring just that subtle barb into the conversation that you want to get across. And what happens when you do that? You say it, and then you warm yourself next to this very small little campfire of your self-righteousness and that great remark that you just made. And then what? The cold air blows right back in. The fire is out and the bridge is burned. And you don't feel better, you feel worse. Or worse still, you, you don't feel anything but hollow. Because foolish words bring death to those who speak them. And foolish words bring death to us when we speak them. But not only to us, foolish words bring death to others as well. Look at a few of these verses. Chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. 15.1, a harsh word stirs up anger. 15.4, a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. 26.18 and 19, one who goes around saying that um, I'm only joking and deceives his neighbor is like somebody who stands in the street with a gun firing at random. That our words are dangerous. And you know what it's like to hear these words. You know what it's like to be on the receiving end of these harsh and harmful words that are spoken to you. Whether that's hearing this kind of criticism or hard words at home or at work, those words that tear down or demean, that tear down or undermine. I remember this scene uh, years ago when I was a kid. I was riding in the car with my dad. And I guess he accidentally maybe cut somebody off in traffic. And so we look over at this car then, I think honked at us, and, and we see this guy just giving us the middle finger. And I, I can just see this, pick 20 years later, I can still see this scene as a kid being there with my dad. And I can still feel the force of that hot flash of anger directed against my father. 
I could see it happening in front of me. Now, I can't imagine that the man who did this could possibly remember um, this interaction or that he could possibly have imagined that there was a child who saw that that was literally going to remember that scene for the rest of his life. And I bet my dad, we haven't talked about it, I bet my dad doesn't even remember this happening. And that might be because when you're an adult, you gain some perspective on things like this. Maybe you, maybe you just know that you were at fault. Maybe you can remember times when, when you've reacted in a similar way yourself. Uh, maybe you've heard enough harsh words over the course of your life that you've just become numb to them, that they just don't resonate with you anymore. You've developed a thick skin to protect yourself. You've repeated to yourself again and again that great and terrible lie that is said every day on some child's playground somewhere. Sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. But you see, as a child, I knew that that gesture, those unspoken hard words pointed at my dad, I knew that they were ugly and destructive and wrong. They stir up anger, and they crush the spirit, and they bring darkness rather than light. Sticks and stones can break our bones, but words can kill us. Bad words bring hard effects for us and for other people, but there are also good words. Proverbs talks about the good words that bring help and restoration and healing. Look at these. The restorative power of these words, and again, just like hard words, it has effects both for those who speak them and those to whom they are spoken. First for the speaker. Uh, look at 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A soft answer turns away wrath. Your words have the power to save you in the sense that they can actually turn aside the wrath of someone else that's directed against you. Now, that could also be wrath directed against somebody else. Uh, maybe some of you remember, um, I remember as a kid watching this series on, I sound like the incredible nerdy kid that I probably was most of the time, uh, on Masterpiece Theater, PBS. I don't know how I stumbled across this, but they had this great series, a uh, British series called, um, called Danger UXB, Unexploded Bomb. And it was about this bomb squad of these, these British guys in the wake of World War II who went around the country when people would find unexploded bombs. Okay, World War II, uh, all, all the night bombings that were happening over London and other areas of England, and these bombs falling, they, they wouldn't all go off. And so there was a bomb squad that would be called in when some farmer would go out and find it out in the field, you know, next to his cow Bessie there, there'd be this bomb in the field, and they'd call the bomb squad, come disarm it. Now, if it was in the out in the farm, you know, next to the cow, you could you could move the cow and and you could at time you could you could just go ahead and explode the bomb. That sometimes was the safest thing to do. But here's the thing: people would find these in their cellar in the middle of the city where it had crashed through a whole building, and the bomb squad would come in and you couldn't just set the bomb off because it was going to destroy people and it was going to destroy homes and it had to be disarmed. The explosive power had to be taken away. And the writer of Proverbs says, our words have that kind of power, that you can curb wrath, that you can stop it from exploding, that you can nip it in the bud with your soft answer. It can have restorative power for us. Our words can also have restorative um, power for others. Listen to some of just the richness of the metaphors that the writer of Proverbs uses. Um, I'll start in chapter 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. 10.20, the tongue of, right, of the righteous is choice silver. 10.21, the lips of the righteous feed many. 
12.25, a good word relieves anxiety. 15.4, a tongue, a righteous tongue brings healing and is a tree of life. 16.24, gracious words are like honeycomb. They bring sweetness to the soul. They bring health to the body. 20.15, lips of knowledge are a precious jewel. 25.11, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. The beauty of words used well in a helpful way for others. Um, in the Anglican Book of Common Prayer, in one of the prayers of confession, listen, listen to this one line from the prayer. It says, forgive us for what we have done and for what we have left undone. Okay, that prayer could just as easily say as we pray it, forgive us for what we have said and for what we have left unsaid. Okay, the writer of Proverbs talks about both halves of this, what we might call speaking sins of omission and, sp and sins of commission. Commission, the things that we do, all the words that we say that bring such destruction around us. But you can also sin by omission. All the words we failed to say, all the opportunities that we had to bring health and healing and life and change, and we let them just pass on by. Our words can bring great harm, but they can bring great healing and help as well. And honestly, some of us, maybe what we need to hear most is that we cannot be relationally passive. You can't sit on the relational, conversational couch for the rest of your life and just let conversations happen around you. Maybe not say anything outwardly very harmful or destructive, but not entering in, not using your words constructively, not engaging people with them. Writer of Proverbs says our words have power to bring healing and change. And if we're going to be wise people, then we have to be wise speakers who take up that power and use it well. Let me just give you um, four characteristics of wise speakers that we see here. Um, wise speakers know how to listen. 18.13, he who gives an answer before hearing, it's his folly and shame. What do wise people do? They listen before they speak. Know how to listen. Second thing, know when to be silent. 13.3, wise speakers guard their mouth and preserve their lives. 15.28, the heart of the righteous ponders what to say while the wicked just pours out evil. 17:27 and 28. Wise people restrain their words. In fact, even if you're if you're a fool, if you just keep your mouth closed, people will at least think that you're wise if you hold your tongue. Chapter 21, verse 23. A wise person keeps his mouth and his tongue, and he keeps himself out of trouble. In other words, wise people know how to hold their tongues. They know the right time to be silent. There's a right time and a wrong time. So they know how to listen, know how to be silent. They know the right thing to say. 15:23. To make an apt answer is a joy to a man. A, wo a word in season, how good it is. There's a, there's a right time and a right thing to say. An apt answer is a joy. A word in season, fourth thing, know the right thing to say. Know the right time to say it. A word in season, at the right time. Also 27.14, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. All that encouragement shouted at somebody at 7.30 a.m., they're not going to hear it. Wise people know that. You wait till the second cup of coffee. A word, <laughs> ap, third cup for me, word uh, aptly spoken and at the right time. Uh, some of this just came home for me this week. I had a conversation with, with a young woman who had lost a friend recently. 
and the friend who was lost, who died, she, she left behind a child, she left behind a husband, and she was asking the hard questions about where is God in this? I'm not sure that I can trust him, and I'm not sure that he's good. And if you've had something like this happen, something deeply tragic and deeply sad, then you know that in moments like that, there's something deeper needed than just a theological answer for the problem of evil. You know, there's an important time for people who are grieving to give good answers to their questions, but timing really is everything. Proverbs 25.20, which is not on your sheet, says this, Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on soda, is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. That being a wise speaker means that you speak the right thing at the right time. And it makes you ask questions like this. When do we speak and when do we simply listen? When do we open up our Bibles and when do we just sit and cry with someone? Because that's the right thing at the right moment. What's the right thing to say? What's the right timing? And the answer is there's just no formula for that. Because what we need is not a script, but wisdom. Right words at the right time appropriate words, appropriate to the situation, a fountain of life, apples of gold in a setting of silver. And that's what our words do. Now, where do our words come from? Okay, there's this huge danger for us right here. Because you hear this, I mean, as I've been looking at it this week, you hear about all the destructive power of hard words, and you think, okay, I'm just going to hold my tongue, and I'm not going to speak hard words this week. I'm just going to stop being critical. I'm going to stop saying harsh things. And I'm going to, and more than that, I'm, I'm going to start saying the right thing at the right time. I'm going to be Mr. Sunny Encouragement now, this week. I'm not going to say anything critical to my spouse, my kids, or my coworkers. Apples of gold. I'm going to be so encouraging with my words, people are going to call me Johnny Golden Appleseed. Here's the thing, and here's the problem. And if you've ever tried to really use your words well, maybe you found this, that it doesn't work. That we try to use our words better and it's only of limited success. Most of us have tried to do better with our words and found that we have to keep trying and trying again because something doesn't seem to catch. Listen to the book of James in the New Testament. Listen to James' dismal evaluation of our speaking. This comes from chapter 3. The tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature has been tamed and is being tamed by mankind, but no human can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. And with it we bless our Lord and Father, and with, with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. What's he saying? We have a speech problem. We have a problem with our words. We have a problem with our tongue. And we can't simply fix it. And we can't simply turn around and go out here from here this morning and just try harder to get it right this time. We can't just apply the good advice of Proverbs. Why? Because we have a problem that's much deeper than our tongues. We have a heart problem. Proverbs 4.23, listen to this, familiar to many of us, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Or as the NIV translates it, Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. 
Now, if you've ever heard somebody use this quote, you, you might have heard it in a, like a dating talk. Guard your heart. It's a wellspring of life. Don't go with that junior high kid. Something like that. But it applies much more broadly than that. Our heart, if you remember, we've said this often, our heart has to do with the totality of who you are. As one writer says, your heart is your core personality. It's the thing that's most essential about you. It is the core of your being. The writer of Proverbs says, guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. Your life bubbles up out of the things that your heart produces. Everything that you do, everything that you say, everything that you think is bubbling straight out of your heart. They're all an expression of you. They're all an expression of who you are and who I am at our core. And when our words get away from us, when we get frustrated, when we speak hard words to somebody, when we're critical, when we're hurtful, when we think, we tend to think this, look what this person or this situation just caused me to do or to say. That's why when we eventually apologize to somebody, if we get that far, we tend to say or at least, say, or at least think something like this. Look, I'm, I'm really sorry for what I said, but, I'm really sorry, but, you, you can't believe how much that what you did set me off. I'm really sorry. But you wouldn't believe the kind of night that I had last night. You wouldn't believe how tired I am. You wouldn't believe what my circumstances make me do. But Proverbs says that all our works, all our words, everything that we do and think, is generated not by something outside of us, but by something inside of us. The external situation is not the cause. Everything that comes out of us reveals our heart. And that's exactly what Jesus had to say about the same subject. Luke chapter 6, listen to what he says. For no good tree bears bad fruit, and nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is known by its fruit. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the treasure hidden in his heart produces good and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Our words and everything else flow from our hearts. If only the problem was that we just need to curb our speech a little bit. We've got a deeper problem. The very place that our words come from. Um, our second child, who will remain nameless, protect the guilty. We'll just call him Henry. Uh, this was a couple years ago. First few months of what, what, after Henry was born, very colicky. We were up all the time. And not only that, he had this piercing cry that would make you want to jump out of the window. Many times I thought, I'm so thankful I live in a one-story home. But he, there, was, there was something about it. And you get night after night of not sleeping well. And then I can remember this, this one night in particular I was getting out of bed, it was dark, I was going for his crib on the other side of the room, and I smashed my toe into something. And out of my mouth, flowing words, not of blessing. <laughs> what happened next? Well, even as I tell this story, I mean, we were tired. I mean, my, my, my son had colic, for goodness sake. You know, you'd do the same thing if you'd been up night after night, too. What am I doing? All these external situations that gave rise to my words. The writer of Proverbs and Jesus himself says, no, it wasn't, the, it wasn't the cry, it wasn't the long nights. 
you stubbed your toe, and in the middle of the night, your filters are still asleep, and the reality of your heart came pouring out right then and there. Now, that was almost two years ago. I could give you similar examples from this weekend of ways speech just comes out, of ways we can't curb our tongue, the ways I can't curb my tongue. And we've all got examples of things like that that we've said, but... um, We also have examples, most of us, about words we've spoken whose effects are much more serious, much more damaging than a few curse words muttered in the middle of the night. We've used our words against those we know and even against those that we love, words that sting, words that corrode, and words that reveal something really disturbing, not about our situation, but about ourselves. We have, you have, I have a heart problem. And if our words are ever going to change, then our hearts are going to have to change. And if our hearts are going to change, we need help. Last thing on words, how can our words change? It's another way of saying, how can our hearts be changed? Two things. There is something that we need to hear, and there's something that we need to speak. First, there's something we need to hear. We need to hear again the words of the gospel spoken to us. I want us to hear it this morning in the form of words that Jesus spoke in his very first sermon, the very beginning of his public ministry. He's in his hometown and he stands up to preach. What's Jesus going to say? The very beginning, the the sermon that kicks it all off. This comes from Luke chapter 4. Well, what he does is he chooses to quote from Isaiah 61. Here's what Jesus says. The scene, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Okay, now what are Jesus' words saying to them? I am the one who is full of God's Spirit. He's saying, he is, God has anointed me, sent me to proclaim good news. Liberty to those who are enslaved, enslaved by all kinds of things, enslaved to their sin, to their desires, to their cynicism and criticism and jealousy and self-defensiveness. Recovery of sight for the blind. If you can't see, I can make you see again. If your heart is dark and blind, I can bring it light. I've come to bring in the time of God's favor, his healing, his forgiveness. This is good news. That's what Jesus is saying to them. And we said that wise speakers know to say the right thing at the right time, and they also know what not to say. You see, when Jesus read these verses from Isaiah, he actually stopped in mid-sentence, rolled up the scroll, He stopped in midline. There was something he didn't read. Here's what he didn't read. Get down to the end of that quote. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Before Jesus read that half of the verse, he rolled up the scroll and put it down. He didn't say it. He didn't finish the verse. And it's not because it wasn't true, but because it wasn't time yet. God will show his wrath against sin, but Jesus says it's not now, not today. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus' good word to us is that he came to bring forgiveness and healing and restoration. He came to announce the year of the Lord's favor. It's the time of the offer of the gospel. Freedom, sight, 
healing, forgiveness for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord God would call to himself. Jesus said, that is the good news that I've come to say to you now, today, again. All right, now go back to our Wilcox song. First date, harsh words spoken to the waiter. And what is the wise person being dated to do? What does she do? She, she walks out. She runs. But here's about the thing about Jesus. He broke rule number one. He didn't run. He didn't let the hardness of our words spoken to the waiter, spoken to our family, spoken to our friends, spoken to him, didn't let our words chase him away. He didn't leave us sitting at the table. He didn't walk out on us as he could have, as he could have and really should have. This date is going nowhere. These people are going nowhere. Rude to the waiter, heart of heart, misusing words, misusing our very lives. But he doesn't get up, doesn't desert us, and he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave us where we are. This is the year of the Lord's favor. The offer of the gospel, real, true, deep forgiveness is what Jesus speaks to us. The word of forgiveness that we so desperately need to hear in the middle of all our bad speaking, spoken to us by Jesus, at the cost of his own body, his own life, his own blood, given for us, bad speakers, people in need of good words spoken. And the good word that we need to hear is the good word of the gospel. The good word that God knows our hearts, and he knows our struggle with speech. The ways we misuse our words, the ways we refuse to use our words for good, the hardness, the darkness we still wrestle with, maybe even after years of walking with him. And he speaks this word of forgiveness, words that are a fountain of life. Jesus, who has lips of righteous, the righteous one, that feed many, in the words of Proverbs. Jesus does for us to take words from another song, this one from you too that are a prayer. Take these hands, teach them what to carry. Take these hands and don't make a fist. Take this mouth, so quick to criticize. Take this mouth and give it a kiss. And in Jesus, that's exactly what God does for us. He kisses our lips that they might become clean. There is something that we need to hear. And then lastly and quickly, there is something that we need to say. Romans 2.4 says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And the words that we need to say are words of confession and words of repentance and words of owning up what is true about us that we are called again and again to lay it on the table. Not just our hard words, but our hard hearts from which they flow. All of it on the table again and again and again as we come back to our God with words of, forg- with words of confession. Lord, forgive me. I have used my words badly again. It's given me another glimpse of what's going on in my heart, jealousy and pride and fear and selfishness and insecurity and faithlessness. Lord, forgive me. I confess. I repent. I'm sorry. Lord, forgive me and change me. Take my jealousy, my selfishness, and teach me to love. Take the tight fist of my pride and my rebellion and give it the open hand of humility and repentance. Take the hardened heart of my hardened rock of my heart and give me softness of a heart of flesh, a renewed heart, a forgiven heart. Take my fear and insecurity and give me deep trust in you and in the goodness and favor that you promised me in the gospel. 
Take my faithlessness and replace it with faithfulness. Take my words of death and replace them with words of life. Give me the mouth of the righteous that my mouth might be a fountain of life. Give me the tongue of the righteous that it might be choice silver. Give me the lips of the righteous that they may feed many. Give me the lips of knowledge that are a precious jewel. May my words be like apples of gold in a setting of silver. Lord, forgive me and change me.